Thanks for tuning in to the audio edition of our Sunday sermons. For more information about Cornerstone, visit cornerstonerome.com. But today we're going to talk a little bit about how God is greater than evil. So uh, this is something that I think from a, a standpoint on theology, it's very, sometimes can be very difficult to talk about because um, there are the thoughts that people say about God that he is all sovereign, and that is true, but they also say things like, well, if God is all sovereign, then he controls everything. And when you say that statement, well, <clears throat> then does that mean he controls the fact that there's a virus killing people? Is he in control of like, I mean, we sing songs. We sing a song about this, a worship song. We sing that God is still in control. Well, what we're singing, what we're worshiping to is that no, God is still in control of my life. I still trust God. He is still in the leadership role of my life. I'm not saying that God is con- in control of all of the bad things that go on in this world. One man said this one time. He said, you know, well, God's just in control. God's just in control. And the other guy beside him said, well, if he's in control, he's got it all messed up, you know. So if you think about it, if God's really in control of everything, then either he doesn't know what he's doing or he needs a lot of help or something, you know. God is not in control of all the bad things that take place. So we're going to talk a little bit about today that God is greater than evil. But before we can actually talk about that, we have to understand that God is not involved with evil. It is a thing that dates back to some of the oldest scripture in the Bible, which we're going to talk about today a little bit. But there is the idea that I think that we take on as Christians, and maybe if you're watching right now, if you're not a Christian, this might be difficult uh, to hear because maybe you've heard a Christian say some things like this. That when a Christian goes through a difficult trial or a difficult season, sometimes people will say things like, well, God put this on me. In other words, I got a virus and God did it to teach me a lesson. Or, well, I got hurt, you know, on the job and I got into an accident or a car accident. Well, God was trying to teach me something through that. I don't see that in Scripture, that God is trying to teach us through tragedy and through uh, uh, disaster. You just don't see that. I mean, insurance companies even have this. Don't forgive me if you're in insurance. I'm not picking. But it is weird that on the contracts of most insurance policy, it says we cover this, 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 and this, and this. Exceptions, you know, maybe acts of God. And I want to say, well, the acts of God that I understand in the Bible are acts of mercy, of justice, of forgiveness, of love, and of grace. I mean, those are the acts of God that we ought to be talking about. But many times, he gets the blame for tornadoes, for hurricanes, for floods, for viruses, for everything. I mean, God at one time, he was even blamed for the towers that fell in New York. It's just really strange to me to think about that. So God, people think that God did that. No, evil people did those things. And that's hard for us to reconcile sometimes because as a Christian, you think, well, if I, if I love God and God's good. I, why doesn't God let just good things happen to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's what people ask. And therefore, it creates this confusion about what God is. And here's why. It's because we live more of our Christianity by our circumstances than we do by our convictions. I'm going to say that again. We live our Christianity most of the time. We live by our circumstances than we do by our convictions. And therefore, it makes a very wishy-washy theology and a very difficult 
way to approach God. Because if you're not confident in God and your convictions, then you'll approach him based on circumstance. And circumstance will always lead you astray from who God really is. That's why Jesus came to the earth. One of the reasons was not just to forgive sin, but to right a wrong perception that many people had about God. Jesus said, I have come to show you the Father. I came to show you my daddy. And he's a good daddy. And he loves you. And he talked about blessing and how the Father was with you and he'll be with you. Because people did not believe that God was really for them. They had bought into circumstances over conviction. And so we're going to share a little bit about this this morning. So as we do, as we talk about this, not only are there convictions, not only are there circumstances that we deal with in life, but we have to take in consideration other things that people say and that we've all heard. And it can go all the way back even to an old book in the Bible, one of the oldest books, really from a manuscripts perspective in, in a chronological order of life and time that we have of history. It's not the first book of the Bible, but understand the books of the Bible are not in chronological order. They are all in different, there's a methodology to it with a canon of scripture, but they are not in chronological order in the time of history. But the book of Job is one of the oldest manuscripts that we have. And many times people, we go back to the book of Job and we say, well, look at Job. And we base our theology many times on a guy named Job who lived in a land called Uz. It sounds like something how the Wizard of Oz a little bit, you know. Here's a man named Job who lived in a land called Uz. And that's what we're basing our life on is what happened to Job. A couple of verses and we take that and we say, well, that must be the way it is. But listen, Job is possibly the oldest book, probably not, maybe not the oldest in history, but it is one of the oldest in literature history. And Job lived during the time, believe it or not, during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he lived in the land of Uz, if you will. It's in southern Israel. It's in the Sinai Peninsula now, if you, if you will. But it's in that region. But Job, to understand this very quickly before I get into some of the issues of evil, Job is a poetry book. To understand that your Bible is broken down in different categories. There are poetry books of the Bible. There are more of what we call the epistles of the Bible, the New Testament, that bring about more theology that God gave Paul the revelation for so that we could understand who God was through Christ Jesus. There are Old Testament Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, those things that God gave his law in. There are prophetical writings, Isaac, Jeremiah, others in the Bible. But Job is a poetry book. He is the same, Job is the same as Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Psalms. They are poetry books. And Psalms, and let me just give you a little idea about this Psalm, the book of Psalm, what it is, is it shows the full range of human emotion and text. It's many times David and others crying out to God, like, and you've been there before. It's why you pray weird stuff sometimes. You know the Bible says that if God be for you, then who can be against you? But when you're going through difficult seasons, you're crying out to God, oh God, where are you? God, I feel like you left me. God, where are you? You're crying out to God out of what? Out of emotion. That's what the book of Psalm is. It's a book of the full range of human emotion and text. In the book of Proverbs, it shows a parent's wisdom for their son. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a meditation and thought about the human condition of life. It's the same thing we all think about when people ponder the existence of life. And we all go, hmm, as I think about life. Surely this is not all there is. That's basically the extent of Ecclesiastes. When I've studied everything that I've found, money, life, wealth, human condition, 
I think, man, we're in bad shape. That's Ecclesiastes. That's a guy reflecting on what he's thinking about. The Song of Solomon is all about the love between a bride and a groom, if you will. It's very much a, a, a poetry book or a for some of y'all who read those romance novels, there you go. It's one of those right there kind of thing. If you break it down, that's basically what it is. But these are poetry books of the Bible. So when you hear about Job, one of the first books of poetry, what does the book of Job really show us? If God is good, why did he let these things happen to Job? If God is such a good God, why would he let this happen? It seems like a game almost, doesn't it? Like when you read it, it seems like a game of suffering that God is just saying, well, you know, Job, here's my servant Job, and Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, basically, well, I can't do anything with him. You've got a, a hedge of protection around him. You've got this, this, garris, this garrison around him. He, he, I can't touch him. He's just this perfect individual. And God says, basically, he's in your hands. And so people take that and they say, well, see, God just turned him over to Satan to just beat him up really bad. It sounds like an old country song, you know, basically, you know, he took his family, took his food, took his friends, took his girl, took his dog, took everything. It sounds like an old country song, you know. But in the end, all of it, we see that God restores back to Job very quickly. The, the chapters are broken down, and you read this, it seems like it takes forever, but it's really not a long period of time. And I want to submit something to you about Job, because this is the one thing that people ask me a lot. Well, When you get into good versus evil, God is good, the devil's bad, then why would God do this? What about Job? Almost always. I want to submit something to you about Job. In your Bible, the scriptures declare to us in Hebrews that the Old Testament was written for our example. The Old Testament was given to you to watch and see types and shadows of things that were to come. The Old Testament has prophecies that are fulfilled. You have to determine which one is this. In the New Testament, there are epistles that teach you about Christian theology, how to build your life upon the writings and the teachings of Paul that mostly came from Paul, but they are reflected on after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to submit something to you about Job, that Job possibly could be, my my belief is two things, maybe more, but just in this example. Job's a guy in the Bible that had a bad run and some tough things happened to him. I don't think you should build your life on the theology of Job. When Job began to ask God questions, he, when he said things to God and, and questioned God and who he was and why this happened and what, and God just pretty much asked him, said, Job, do you know how to diffuse light? Who, where were you when I formed the stars in the sky, Job? Do you have any comprehension of the universe and how I expanded it and what's taking place? Obviously, the answer is no. But these are the questions God proposed to Job because he had questions about what God was doing. And God was saying, who do you think you are asking these questions? It's not me. Look at the one who's doing this to you. It's not me. So don't build your theology on Job. The other thing I want to submit to you is this, that Job is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. And before you go too deep, you think, well, wait a minute, how's that possible? Think about this. He was protected. He had everything going for him. He had everything in life that he needed. Nothing was wrong with his life. And God himself, or the Satan himself even said, he's protected. I can't touch him. He's perfect. And God said, I trust my servant Job. You watch what he says when God says, I trust my servant Job. 
he'll serve me all of his days. And behold, Satan begins to come at him and torment him and send destruction against him. And all kinds of calamity comes against Job. But Job never turns from God, even when his friends say, bro, you're in bad shape, man. I mean, you got, you got the boils, you got the, you got the stank, you got the funk, you got the whole shebang, man. Like, you should just curse God and die, Job. Nothing is worse than this. And Job would continue to do what? Give God glory and praise. Listen, Jesus Christ had it all together. There was nothing wrong with what he had. And he was willing to give it all up to come to this earth to be tortured, to be beaten, to be left for dead. He even questioned God in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, God, if it's possible, can this cup pass away? And even in the end, he says on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? But into your hands I commit my spirit. Job said, even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. That's the core of the theology of Job. It's not did he go through pain or suffering. It's I will trust God no matter what happens to me in my life. Job, I believe, was a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ in many cases. And in many cases, he wasn't. But in many cases, he was. Adam was a type of Jesus Christ in many cases. In many cases, he was not. It doesn't mean everything in their life is like Jesus. It means you see glimmers of Christ in these men's lives. Moses, Joseph, they were all types and shadows of Christ. So when you read about Job, I think you begin to see Jesus. Think about this and this philosophy that Job's friends had that carries on today. People think that when bad things happen, they say, well, you must have sinned. Something must be wrong with you. Think about this happened with Jesus in John 9. I'm going to give you a couple of verses to look at this. In John chapter 9 and verse 2, we'll put this up for you. But in John chapter 9 and verse 2, let's throw this up for everybody so you guys can see it. He was came across a couple of parents and some other individuals where a young man was born blind. And basically, this is what his disciples and others ask of Jesus. Who sinned? Was it this young man or was it his parents? And Jesus didn't even address the idea. He looked at them and almost to say, what? Just because he's blind doesn't mean that he sinned. He said, listen, man, this is for the glory of God. I'm about to heal this guy. You're about to see the glory of God displayed. And some people take this and say, well, God made him blind and that was for his glory. That's ridiculous. He just happened to be born blind, but the glory of God was displayed in the fact that Jesus healed him. I don't understand why people have to pick out the negative to blame God for things that he didn't do. Why not glorify God for what he did do in life, you know? So when you think about that, that's what... Theology was kind of going on during that time. And listen, if your circumstance is determining your position God with God, you're going to say the same thing. Man, why did I get in this? Why did this situation happen? Why did I lose my job? Why did this happen? Why did I get the COVID-19? What, what, why me, God? Why? Why my circumstances? Because your circumstances are dictating your relationships. You've got to live by conviction and not circumstance. If this is the case, think about Acts. Acts chapter 7 with Stephen. If it had to do with sin, then I guess Stephen sinned somewhere in his life. Because Stephen was preaching and proclaiming the gospel in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. You can look it up and read it, but Stephen was proclaiming the word of God and preaching the word of God, and they killed him and they stoned him dead with rocks in their hands. Because he said, I see the glory of God and the angels of God in heaven. And then they stoned Stephen dead on the street. Well, I guess Stephen must have sinned, then look what happened to him. No. 
You can't determine circumstances or make that a determination on what's going on in your life spiritually because good or bad things happen to you. The Bible says this, that, man, the rain, it falls on the just and the unjust. When Elisha was in, the, in a season of his life, man, it hadn't rained for years because he prayed. But the Bible also says this, that during that time, it affected the just and the unjust. You can't make a determination of your life spiritually on circumstances. You have to live by convictions. One more in 2 Corinthians 11. You can read this chapter later. Paul's trials. He said, man, listen, I've been left for dead. I've been shipwrecked, beaten. I have been robbed. I have been betrayed by my countrymen, by those who were called brothers or Christians, and those who are not. He said, man, listen, I've been through it all. But in all of these things, look at what Paul says later on. But in all of these things, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the position of conviction and not circumstance. If you have a shipwreck, God bless you if you do, but you can't blame God and say, well, God, why? It's not God's fault. You know, the Titanic sunk not because of God. You know, and there's some things being said today that make me nervous because of people's statements. I thank God that he doesn't bring the hammer down because of what people say today. I thank God that he still, I believe, is withholding his wrath and judgment still today. But I'll tell you what, there's some statements that people are making, and I, I don't mean to pick, but as a leader, you ought to be careful in how you say that God doesn't get credit for certain things. And I'm not picking, but I'm saying if everybody else is going to be vocal, I'm going to be a little vocal this morning too. You ought to declare and say, if people are praying, and if you say, well, God doesn't deserve credit for this, the people who worked hard, I'm sorry. No, God deserves glory for the reduction of this virus in our nation. And we ought to give him praise for the reduction of the virus in this nation. And stop saying it's us as humans. Because I'm sorry, we're just not that smart. We did work hard and we did a good job. But Jesus Christ and God Almighty is still the one that we give glory to for what's taking place, for the good things in life. And I'm not going to pick, but I'm just saying. We ought to give praise for God and not say it's the man who did it. It's God that's moving and helping us. Thanks be to God for that. In Revelation 1, I don't have time to read this, Revelation 1. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. John was boiled in oil. Of all the disciples, he's the only one that survived and basically that we find that lived a, a life, I guess you don't say normal, not so normal if you get boiled in oil. But um, I don't care what kind of oil it is, it, that can't be fun. But everybody else died a martyr's death in a sense, young. John lived out his days on the island of Patmos. Well, I guess John must have done something wrong. Listen, John declared he's the guy that Jesus loved. And look what happened to him. You can't base your life on circumstances. You've got to base them on conviction. So this morning, I laid all that out to you to answer a couple of questions this morning. If God is so good, then why do certain things take place? Well, let me just say a couple of this. How do we trust God then with our convictions in the middle of our circumstances that we're faced? Well, let me read this to you from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. And this is what the scriptures say about this. Colossians 2 and verse 8. He says, don't let anybody capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. Boy, that, that ought to... You might want to tweet that today or post that on your, your social media because that's what's happening today. That makes me nervous when I hear people say things like that. 
that don't give credit to God at all. That makes me nervous. It's like people saying, well, the, even God couldn't sink the Titanic. I don't think God sunk the Titanic. I just think it's an interesting thing that I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that God, I would just refrain. It's almost like, why even tempt God? Why even go there? Just refrain from those kinds of statements. But Colossians 2, he says, don't let anybody capture you with the empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, humanistic beliefs. How about that in our culture today? And from the spiritual uh, powers of this world. Rather, we take our convictions from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. He tells us this. Listen, when things happen, submit your convictions to Christ Jesus and not philosophies of this world. Don't follow philosophy, but ground yourself in God's word. Now, we all have a philosophy or a thing that we think and believe in, but don't, don't follow philosophy. You ground yourself in God's word. That's the key. So a couple of questions this morning that people ask. If God is so good and he's greater than evil, then why did God allow evil in this world? Let me just answer that briefly. He didn't. He didn't. The scriptures declare that God is good. He does good. And, and David actually said, teach me your word. Satan allowed pride to enter, and he fell from heaven, and then he led a third of the angels with him. You can find this in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. You can read it for yourself right there that he fell from heaven because pride was found in him. He allowed pride to be dwelt within him and caused evil to begin because of him. It did, God did not do that. Satan did that. In Isaiah 14, you can read about this. In Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 15, Satan was filled with pride. And when he filled with pride, he said, I will, I will, I will. And God said, no, you won't. Boom, down you go. Jesus said he saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens when that moment happened. God didn't do that. God punished Satan for his evil. So it leads to the next question that people ask, and that is this. Well, then why doesn't God stop evil in the world? It's a good question, don't you think? Well, then why doesn't God stop evil in the world? But when you look at Romans, we'll look at this together in Romans chapter 5, Romans uh, <coughs> chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 12. Listen to what the, the Bible says about this. Romans 5 verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, not God. It's very clear about this in Scripture. Adam sinned, and sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. That's why even little babies, as cute as they are, and as lovely as they are, they're just a precious thing. You see the cute little babies, and they're just as sweet as they can be. But I'm telling you, they grow up to be teenagers. And then you're just going to realize that that baby, there's something that happened between one years old and about five to eight years of age. Something shifts right there. And it's called they become aware of their condition, like all of us have. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So why doesn't God stop evil in the world? Well, let me just ask you a question. Where would you like him to stop evil at? Think, think about this for a minute. 
at what level do you want him to stop evil at? Let's stop him with all the rapists. I agree. Let's do it. That sounds like a great idea to me. I got three kids and they're all girls. Hey, I agree with you right now. Let's stop all that mess right now. Let's stop all the murderers. Absolutely right. Let's stop every one of them. Let's keep going. How far, but how far do you want to go? I mean, those are, those are easy to say because if you're not one, you can easily say, let's stop that. Let's trickle on down a little bit. Well, let's stop the liars. Yes, absolutely. Let's stop all the liars and the cheaters, man. You know, you played board games the last couple of weeks. If you've got any cheaters in your family, you know, what if God stopped them? Boom, they're gone just like that. All your che- Well, no, no, no. I mean, like, I don't want it to be that. Well, where's the line? Because if you say you want God to stop evil, he has to stop all evil. And all evil, I hate to tell you this, but that includes every one of us. All of us will be wiped out in a moment's notice. No matter how cool you, you may think you're so good. We're not that great. I promise you we're not that great. Six weeks, stuck up in your home. I guarantee you flesh has come out a few times in this process. Don't give any amens right now. Your spouse might be watching with you. But I assure you, somebody's lost it a few times. Of course you have. That's evil. Flesh is evil. Where do you want God to stop the line? Let me uh, read a scripture to you right here. And to Christians right now, let's just, if you're not a believer right now, just you can kick back and relax for a moment. But for all the Christians watching, listen to this for Christians. How far do you want God to go with stopping evil? This is Proverbs 6 and, and verse 16. The Bible says this, these are six things that the Lord hates. These are six things the Lord hates, and seven are an abomination unto him. I know people talk a lot about abominations, and they use that in categories of homosexuality or other things like that. Let me just throw out something else that's an abomination unto God that Christians don't like to talk about too much, but we're going to talk about it here for a moment. Stay, stay tuned. Don't, don't click off. Now, don't, don't jump off yet. Now, this is going to be where you want to listen in real good. Six things the Lord hates. Here they are. You ready? Number one, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, and a false witness who pours out lies. You say, man, those are bad things, and God hates every one of them, and so do I. How about this one? Here's the seventh one that's an abomination of God, a person who sows discord among the brethren. Now, I assure you, just as sure as I'm sitting here, there's not a Christian alive who hasn't either gossiped, said something they shouldn't, or sown some type of discord among the Christian community at some point in their life. Every one of us have done it. How far do you want God to go with stopping evil? Because that is an abomination unto the Lord. All the rest of the things, he hates evil. But sowing discord among the brethren... God calls an abomination. So if he's going to stop evil, I hate to tell you this, he's going to wipe us all out. So what did he do in place? The best thing that he could, he sent Jesus to forgive, to redeem, and to give grace to, let's just face it, an evil humanity that's on the planet. Because of the sin of Adam, Everything else transgressed, and we all transgressed because of it. So here's the last couple of thoughts about this. If God is so good and he doesn't do evil, here's the one question people ask me sometimes. Well, why doesn't God do something about all the children who suffer 
and go hungry? That's a great question. I think sometimes God probably is asking us the same question. Why don't we do something about all the children that suffer and go hungry and are going without? I think sometimes we put our perspectives wrong because we live by, again, our circumstances more than convictions. God said, I've given you the authority, the power as the church to do the work. I've entrusted it to you. I'll be with you, but I'm trusting you to change this world. And sometimes we're up in, here and we're looking up to heaven and asking God, why don't you fix this problem? And I think God is saying, I've given you the money. I've given you the people. I've given you the opportunity. And maybe now I think he might be even saying, look, I shut the whole world down to wake you up a little bit and say, hey, it's not just about Sunday morning. I've called you to a higher purpose than just an hour on a Sunday morning. I've called you to be the church, my hands and my feet of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe it's not what should he do. Maybe we should think about this. What should we do? Because if we live by convictions, it would determine our steps and our course in life. So again, I want to leave you with this this morning. Imagine, what if we all did this? What if we all had faith in our convictions about God, not the circumstances that we live in or other people live in? I think it would change everything. And I want to give you a piece of encouraging news today out of Revelation. This is Revelation 21, and you've probably read this a number of times. But in Revelation 21, the Bible declares to us something that's going to happen in the future. You, you may not see this here on this planet. Matter of fact, I doubt very seriously you are based on what the Bible teaches us. But Revelation 21 and verse 1, this is what John says. This is the guy that was boiled in oil, okay? Left in the island of Patmos alone. This is what he says. I then saw heaven and a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and old earth were gone. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from... God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and he will, they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will watch this. Man, don't you, come on. You got to love this verse of scripture. Because out of all the hell that I've seen on this planet and the wrong that people have had happen to them and the injustice that I have seen, this right here gives me great hope because it's conviction. It's not circumstance. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain because all of these things will be gone forever and ever. And he goes on to say, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And he said to me, write this down, conviction, not circumstance. What I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, it is finished for I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To everybody who is thirsty, I will give freely the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God or their father and they will be my children. Man, listen, I'm telling you right now. God's got a promise for us if we live by conviction. It might not happen here. You might not get what you think you deserve here on this planet. Everybody gets things that they, you know, at times don't deserve. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day where he's going to wipe away every tear, dry every eye. He's going to take away every, every, every death, every sorrow. And he's going to make all things new. And that's a promise that you can trust and trust with God this morning. So as we close out today, I want to pray for you today. If you are here and you're watching, 
I want to ask you to do something for me. If you are not a believer in Christ Jesus and you say, man, I don't know Jesus today, I want to pray for you. Maybe you've gone through sorrow. And listen, I am not justifying the sorrow that you've been through. I am not making excuses for it. I'm not making excuses and saying, look, the people that did you wrong deserve to, to get away scot-free. I'm not saying that. I am saying you do have to turn these things over to God who is a just God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You have to trust God in this. But please, don't let your circumstance lead your life away from a conviction that could change your life. Jesus Christ can change your life this morning. So will you pray this prayer with me right now? Come on, listen, everybody online right there is going to be right there with you. There's our elders in the church right now in our church with us. There's a few people in here in this room. We're going to pray together for you right now. They are praying for you right now. But if you don't know Jesus, will you just pray this prayer? Something like this. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And I give you my life. I submit my whole heart to you right now. And I surrender everything. I do not understand this world and the suffering that I see. But I want to live by conviction and not by circumstance. So today, Jesus, I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. And I give you everything. Will you forgive me and take me as a son or a daughter? In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. 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 Listen, if you pray that prayer, church, we are so, so proud of you right now. Come on, church, everybody online right now, would you just blow up the phone, let them know you love them, man. Give them a bunch of hearts. Give them a bunch of hand claps. Give them a bunch of smiley faces. I don't know the emoticon that does this. I don't know whatever you can do. Give them something to let them know that you love them so much and you're so proud of their decision. If you gave, if you made that decision this morning, we have people right now online that want to help you connect with us. We want to help you get started walking with Christ. If you're on Facebook or if you're on YouTube right now, there's a little simple website you can go to connect.cornerstonerome.com or one of the comments section, you'll see a form right there. Very simple to fill out. We want to help you start walking with God. And listen, if you made that decision, why don't you tell someone right now online, just tell them right now, listen, today I prayed and I received Jesus. Let everybody know right now, they're just going to love on you and tell you they're so proud of you this morning for doing that. That is so, so cool. Everybody's saying they love you, man. That's so awesome. So awesome right there. Well, listen, as always, man, we want to pray over you before we go. And I want to thank you for your generosity. If you were wondering how to give, I know many of you have asked this question. I'm trying to, you know, change from uh, static giving, like giving through the mail or through the offering boxes. I'm all giving by giving online now. You can do that very simply by going to give.cornerstonerome.com. We thank you for your generosity and thank you for what you're doing. As we continue to bless others and help families in our city, community, and around the world, thank you for being a generous church. We just so appreciate that for you. And one other thing, as you're filling out for the poll, I'm going to come back live. We're going to flip over. We're going to turn over the service now for Cornerstone Espanol in about five minutes or so. It's going to take us longer than that, but in about five minutes, I'm going to come back live. won't be in this room. I'll be on my phone. I may go backstage somewhere you hadn't been in church you want to see. Maybe I'll go there. Just let me know. But I'll come back on live in about five minutes, and I'm going to answer uh, whatever the question is that you guys plugged in from the poll uh, that you wanted to hear answered. So as always, before we go, I want to pray this prayer over you. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. This is the prayer that we always bless and pray over our church family. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May God bless you. We love you so much. And we'll see you next week. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.